The challenge is when you start growing as a business, now you need to start scaling purpose. In other words, people join your company based on certain values, etc. But now you need to get those people to also believe in the purpose, but also start living and breathing that purpose yes. and communicate that to others because they become managers in the organization, etc., etc. And that's where it becomes really hard. You're listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of NiceWork. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Where knowledge is shared, wonder deepens. This is the opening line of Louis Janssen von Rendsburg's bio. Louis is the CEO of Glengarry Capital and the chairman of the Heavy Chef Foundation. He's also an entrepreneur, educator, and researcher. His PhD is focused around studying how people learn and more specifically, how entrepreneurs learn. He's a storyteller by trade and a bit of a data nerd. We chat about what the driving force behind him and the heavy chef are, and we unpack their purpose on how they want to be part of the solution for South Africa by facilitating a change in the mindset of people who can make a difference. Entrepreneurs. Enjoy. Yeah, so so welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. Today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you were sharing a little bit of your um, kind of origin story about how you got, like how Heavy Chef was founded and, and how you, you got into it. Oh, like, so, so the name Heavy Chef comes from the saying, you never trust the skinny chef. So it was back in our agency day. We, we used to run a digital agency called Worldwide Creative. And we went to try and sell our services to a pretty well-known client, Ferrari, South Africa. And in that presentation, the CEO of the company then, Fred, um, was presenting newsletter strategies, blog strategies, everything a digital agency would. And the marketing manager there said to Fred, you know what, I never trust the skinny chef. And he flipped his computer around. And there was the Worldwide Creative site back then pointing back to Fred and there was no newsletter and there was no blog. <laughs> so the guy said, you know, it's like um, you're not eating your own food. And he was right. And that was a short version of what happened. But, you know, subsequently, you know, Fred and Mike, who started Worldwide Creative, they started these internal education initiatives to, you know, in the beginning, it was about teaching themselves about digital marketing. So they would invite these other heavy chefs to come and you know talk about newsletter strategy, social media strategy, etc., and teach the worldwide creative team. But then something in- interesting started to happen. WWC started picking up bigger clients, and the clients were hearing about these learning sessions and they asked to join. And you know, fast forward seven, eight years later, regularly get like three hundred people coming to monthly events to learn about um, back then digital marketing. But as digital became more pervasive and more kind of infused in business models, the topic didn't become just digital, it became you know, how to you know, build businesses that are future ready, that incorporate these new tools. And suddenly it wasn't a marketing event, it became 
essentially a leadership and business event. And around 2018, 2017, 2018, we saw an opportunity to take Heavy Chef out of Worldwide Creative. Um, by then, I was a partner in the business myself, and Fred decided to take the lead on that, and he resigned as CEO of Worldwide Creative to start Heavy Chef as a standalone business. So we spun it off as a startup, proper startup. I mean, how you can't be a Heavy Chef without proving that you've actually you know, run a profitable business as well. And... Uh, and, and pivoted into an entrepreneur education company and a platform, which it is today. So today, Heavy Chef uh, runs um, almost like an always-on curriculum of learning experiences, which is you know still events, which is the inspirational stuff. We get people like Robbie Broson, started Nando's, um, recently at Judge Albi Sachs. We even had President Tabu Becky at some of our uh, you know to talk at our events on the future of education. Um, but that's the inspirational bit, you know, it's evening events and, you know, it's, it's doing quite well. We get about 300 odd people coming to each of those events. We host them in Joburg and in Cape Town. But the real meat of what Heavy Chef offers is what we call our learning bites, which are these short, high impact, practical learning sessions. And those are for entrepreneurs or organizations that are wanting to be more entrepreneurial, want their staff to be more entrepreneurial. And that's really where we tap into and you know we've got big ambitious goals um, but there's you know some fundamental building blocks that need to be in place first okay and, and what what sort of drives you know the the team at heavy chef how do you decide how do you filter and decide what is the next thing to put your time and energy into and how do you how do you choose between the myriad of opportunities before you like what do you use as a filtration device for that yeah like it's it's look there's no perfect science around that and a lot of it is but serendipitous you know like when we had president to to come and talk at our one of our events that was just a sequence of interactions we had that led to that particular moment and 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 so you, you kind of want to build a system that that funnels these opportunities through a bit more clinically but the real truth is that a lot of it is instinct and kind of responding to what's in front of you we, we do tap into our community of entrepreneurs, which I think we're sitting about 27,000 entrepreneurs on our database currently. And you constantly speak to them and ask them around what are the areas that they're really interested in. Um, but, but I think the through line here is that, you know, as many South Africans, we, we know what the challenges are in the country and we want to be part of the solution to it. And the people we think are really important or have the ability to solve those problems are entrepreneurs, or not just necessarily entrepreneurs in the traditional sense of people who start their own businesses, but entrepreneurially minded people, you know, people who are problem solvers and just they walk down the street and they see potholes and they don't think and complain about, you know, who's responsible for the potholes and why is it not being fixed. They, they immediately start thinking about solutions. And you, you're probably one of them and you probably know a lot of people like that. You want to cultivate that kind of culture that's our way of, of really that's our true north it's really to affect some kind of practical positive change through people who actually are equipped to make that change and not just use it as lip service and in our mind that's what heavy chef is it's, it's about it's an ethos of doing it's it's why we focus on learning by doing as as our means of educating entrepreneurs and is that, I mean, I, I really enjoy that as a, a tech. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time for people who 
consistently complain about the state of things without doing anything about it. So I, I can totally resonate with that. Um, is this something that you you were crystal on from day one, or is it something that sort of evolved into the the organization as it went through the, yeah, its growth? That's a good question. Like if we reflect on it, it's always been there. Like, but have we articulated to ourselves clearly from day one? Absolutely no. Yeah. Um, we know what Heavy Chef was, where that saying, the name and the brand came from, you never trust a skinny chef. And we know it's about, about people who do instead, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, so that ethos was certainly there and it was articulated in all our communication channels. But if you really go level deeper, you really start figuring out that that's just the marketing message. You yes. know, that's just the, the story. But what, what drives that? What motivation drives that? You know, now we know it's it's about education and empowering ourselves to empower others, inspire people to start things and empower them to succeed, all those kind of things. But that's always been in our ethos. But just I'd say it's since we've really focused on Heavy Chef 100% um, as, a, as, a, as a business, it really started. And Fred has a big role to play. Yeah. I mean, his, his intuition around this stuff is it's as sharp as any anyone that you 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 would meet um and and i think it, it's evergreen where where it is now and if you reflect like the the three business partners myself fred and mike um we all have an ethos of education and learning you know most of us you know all, i think all three of us either our parents or some of our parents were involved in education in some way or form you know so that's always been in our dna to yeah agree floating around in your heads. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think what you said there was so interesting because we we help businesses often clarify what their purpose is. And the, one, the number one question we always get is they're like, you know, are you going to tell us what our purpose is? And I think whether you've articulated it or not, almost all organizations have a purpose. Well, I actually believe all organizations have a purpose. And I think it's only that moment when you reflect on it that, and it becomes crystal, then it becomes something that you can actually use to guide yourself i think the way you call it is your true north yes um and it's amazing how when you understand that it becomes a powerful tool for motivating yourself for finding people to join your organization for convincing speakers to come and attend your events because if people resonate with that it's it's a much more powerful message than like you said a marketing yeah. a marketing message it also it's it's a line in the sand to tell other people who are the people that you don't want to interact with so we also say no to a lot of potential partners. And uh, we also make it clear, you know, who Heavy Chef is for. And when you have that purpose, um, it is does allow you to just be more clear in terms of who the people are that you interact with and who's the ones that don't fit neatly in that box. Mm. But there's so many layers to a purpose. I think often when you engage with people around the conversation of purpose, you're kind of looking for the silver bullet, the one true north as as i said it there's so many deeper layers to that you know so like what i mean with that is that you know even as i mentioned the three business partners personality wise we're all so different i always like fred and mike in particular they're like i'm more in the middle um but i always say like fred both of them wear their hearts on their sleeves the one just wears it on the right hand sleeve (laughs) and then and they articulate you know their approach in different kind of ways but there is an underlying value system that, that we all share. And it's not necessarily the purpose, but it is, you know, try and be as, you know, authentic as possible. Try and be as honest as possible. Try and reflect as often as possible about your own strengths and your weaknesses. 
those are things that are very true and they've helped us make some tough decisions in the past. And that's just a, a more nuanced kind of view of the, the, the purpose itself. The challenge is when you start growing as a business, now you need to start scaling purpose. In other words, people join your company based on certain values, etc. But now you need to get those people to also believe in the purpose, but also start living and breathing that purpose yes. and communicate that to others because they become managers in the organization, etc., etc. And that's where it becomes really hard. So I think for, for big organizations, that's a massive challenge. You know, like that's, I think, why a lot of times purpose in the inverted commas comes across as a bit artificial. Yes. But it's also almost a, an outcome of the game that's being played because it's a challenge of the, the scale of what you do with purpose. Yeah, so it's a, it makes for, it's, it's, it's certainly an, an art, not a science. I also think it's it's so often a stemming of the leader of the organization. You know, and I, I know you guys focus on kind of growing leaders. And I think the, the organizations that I've seen get really, really big and maintain that are often ones where the CEO, the leaders of the business, they spend a lot of time explaining what the purpose yes. is and they spend a lot of time communicating that to people in common language it's not like a poster that you slap on the wall and be like yes. cool done like yeah. moving on to the next thing so they focus on that and then they tie it back to the growth or the success of the organization so they connect like this is what we're doing and this is how we are successful in that because i think if the organization's not being successful it is not able to actually implement on its purpose. It's, if it's got no money, it, it'll close and all those people will lose their job and then whatever their purpose was will, will, and, will sort of and you see this, away. I mean, it, exactly what you just said is 100% true. And you see this when big companies, these big group companies start acquiring hundreds of little companies. It becomes a more often than not a big mess. And you speak to people on the ground and we deal with organizations a lot, but, you know, Building, trying to build an entrepreneurial culture with them. You speak to people on the ground that are part of these big group companies, and they all say exactly what you, what you just said. It's you know, all the values come from the leadership at the top. But because by definition, it's a group of companies that started coming together, there's no single founder or single vision that's being driven through the organization. There's something being communicated on the walls of in the corridors of the companies, but it, it doesn't come through as strongly as, I mean, I, I used Robbie Brunson as, as, as an example, uh, I mentioned him earlier on, mm. but you walk into Hernandez and you meet Robbie, you, like it's a mirror image of his value set. And you, you can just live, you, you feel the brand, you know, you feel Robbie's personality and values come through. And that says something about him as an entrepreneur. I think it's also very clear that he's not the one actually doing that he's done a very good job of empowering people to design the stores in a certain way and the idea of using all <coughs> local manufacturers and you know like these are principles that he's responded yeah, but he wasn't the one where i'm assuming he wasn't the one who made all of those decisions he's empowered other layers of the organization to think and behave according yeah. to those principles yes and that's why i I guess the selection of those closest, your closest confidence, you know, as you build a business becomes so critical. It's, I, I sometimes think myself like, you know, when you start recruiting people, you start building out a team, I'd go for someone whose values are more in line with you, but their skill set are relatively medium, mediocre over someone who has a very strong skill set, but the values are a bit out of sync. Yes. You know, and 
that often is you can get a lot more done and there's a lot more alignment, a lot less friction. And and important thing is the, the foundation of values is, is in place. You're 100% right. I think you can, skills can always be taught. Exactly. You know, and you, you know, you guys are testament to that. You, you're enabling this generation of entrepreneurs to learn. And it's not about like classroom learning. It's about kind of real world practical application of things. So they're learning skills as they're going. But like you say, if your people don't get on or they don't pull in a single direction, you're not going to get no. there. Like we, we, we ran a survey um, nationwide to to figure that out as well. So we spoke to over 4,000 entrepreneurs across the country, all different shapes and sizes, um, and, and all kind of areas as well, not just the affluent areas, but we went into the townships right across the country. Um, and we asked them about what's the type of learning that they value most. And 82% of them said, you know, I learn best through trial and error, practice trial and error. You know, that that outstripped any of the other mediums, you know, like school, university, any formal education. They were like in the low 20% as far as, you know, the value that they get from that about learning in the business. The successful entrepreneurs all spoke about the influence from, uh, not all the successful, but most of the successful entrepreneurs spoke about the influence of family. So they'll tell us stories about how they grew up in their dad's shop doing homework while seeing their dad deal with difficult customers and managing staff and running the shop. You know, and they said that's a kind of learning. They often would share those kind of stories, which is a big challenge for a lot of what like we have a big community of first generation entrepreneurs in this country whose parents were not business owners, you know, for, for obvious reasons in the socioeconomic history of, of this country. The domestic workers, miners, etc. And they would tell us stories of of the dinner table conversations were usually about three things. It was about um, struggles, it was about gambling, and it was about football. Those were the three conversations. Now you compare that with a lot of the other entrepreneurs we spoke to that you know are now running successful businesses. They'd say, "No, my dad was talking about like the shop that he ran, and you know, cash flow was a word that was used at the dinner table." So. Running a business, profitability, the, business all those model, kind, kind yeah. of things. In fact, like just a quick kind of anecdote. Just last week, we, we are part of a big initiative called Cape Town Startup Week, and um, which we hosted uh, last week. Um, and one of the guys came to me. He's an accountant, and he was saying to me, "You know what the first couple of steps is when he starts, you know, working with new clients. He figures out what the money habits were of the parents when they when that person grew up." What were your parents' money habits like? It says, because those exact same habits, 99% of the time, you, you bring into your business. So when he figures out how the money was managed in the household, he knows what are the things that he can look for in the way that that entrepreneur manages the accounts, or at least speaks to the accountant, deals with the books, etc. And so he can see the good, good things and the bad things. So it all, like, you know, culture and, like, uh, nurture is a big, big, component of, of starting a business and running a business i mean i can see that in myself my my father was um or is an accountant okay and he, he like he didn't like debt he doesn't like debt as an idea and you know so i've always self-funded my business and yes. like never taken on debt but it's so interesting to uh, a part of a, an organization called the entrepreneurs organization and you get exposed to these different business owners across the world and some of them, debt is a tool. It's not a, it doesn't have a negative stigma to it. So it's yes. like they'll take on 
infinite amounts of debt if the other factors, the business model, the opportunity, you know, like all of these things, if they all align, be it 5 million rand, 500 million rand, <clears throat> 5 billion rand, that number doesn't scare them because they, they've, like you said, they've been taught a way of thinking it's about... just the mechanism to do business. Yes. And they kind of use it as they, they please. But the flip side is true. You know, you grow up in a family like uh, that is not risk averse at all they just like for all intents and purposes gamble not necessarily not at emperors but yeah. with their businesses and like yes. you know there's no structure in the way that they structured their accounts and often you know the debt of the business is the debt of the individual you see this a lot in like uh, plumbers and like the kind of more um, one-man business kind of setup where there's no distinction made between the business and the individual and there's a lot of bad habits that come from that in fact i met with an entrepreneur the other day he has eight credit cards, you know, and like all these short-term loans. And he just now hustles, he, through, he it hustles through it, you know, and there's a, there's a component of that where the hustler is like, well, good for you, hustling. But there's, you know, he's got a son that's 11 year, years old, you know, and you kind of know, not 100% for certain, but there are a lot of those bad habits are just passed on uh, to that kid as well. So you want to create an ecosystem of educating entrepreneurs that are that is grounded, that takes nurture and environment into account, but then works with that to kind of get the, the, the good principles in the place. Better habits yeah, the better habits going. So can you talk a little bit more about the survey of yours? I mean, what kind of data were you collecting and, and what were you hoping, you know, like what were you hoping to achieve with it? Like how is it furthering the heavy chef um, mission? Yeah, so obviously there's, for us, there's a lot of value in that to just get a closer view in terms of what the learning habits are of entrepreneurs and what their preferences are. So we wanted to find out, you know, past, present and future. Like how did you learn about running a business while you were a kid? Um, when was the first time you started learning about running a business? What was it like at school, at university, if you went into university? Um, currently, how do you upskill yourself and what are your future concerns as well? Like looking towards the future, what are the skills that you think are important, etc.? A lot of value for us. But for the for the community, it was a treasure trove of insights where we could actually, for the first time ever, and this is the largest and most comprehensive study ever conducted in South Africa on the topic of entrepreneur education, get a 360-degree view from entrepreneurs. We didn't ask academics. We didn't ask the schools. We asked entrepreneurs themselves how you learn. And, and what we've seen, I mean, there were five key insights that, that jumped out, which I'm happy to run through. But the main thing was that, you know, there's a total disconnect between, you know, your formal supply channels of entrepreneur education. At least that's the perception from entrepreneurs and, and, and the reality of how they actually learn and how they want to learn. Um, so it was fascinating. And we, we surveyed over 4,000 um, entrepreneurs across the country, asked more than 62 questions to them, all kind of topics. But we also want... We, you know, our focus was to get stats and stories. So we also took our video crew and we filmed them and we heard stories from real business owners. And, you know, the stats tell you how things are. The, the, the stories and the kind of video interviews tell you really why they are the way they are. And that just is a bit of a, it's fascinating to start comparing different kinds of entrepreneurs with each other. You start realizing there wasn't a lot of racial discrepancies that came through, but there was a massive amount of cultural discrepancies. So the rural KZN entrepreneurs were completely different from the Guguletu entrepreneurs. You know, although socioeconomic-wise, they were facing the same challenges. There's a lot of kind of intrinsic cultural differences 
that were prevalent that came up just makes for some fascinating stuff um yeah so like we can talk about this stuff forever but they're really like it's 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 for us because we're passionate about the entrepreneur education system to get a peek into what is needed to unlock that it's it's feels quite empowering so what were those what were those five insights that came out um, so, so the five were, we call it masterclass of one, learning in the trenches, learning in the gaps, um, knowledge that, that, um, that keeps the lights going, and uh, learning in small circles. The in small circles really is, is, is one that's quite interesting. It's what we picked up from entrepreneurs, at least from, from the research, is that entrepreneurs, A, prefer to share their learnings in very small setups, and they often say to us face-to-face, one-to-one. That's the best way. They're all willing, not all, about 82% of them are willing to share their learnings when they have an opportunity, but they want to do it in intimate kind of settings, and they want to do it with people that are very much like themselves. They didn't want to just share it with family and friends. They just, you know, if you're a business owner, they'll speak all day and give you advice, etc. But the learning in small circles also speaks to the power of family and friends. You know, these are people that are in proximity to you. And that, that's great, but also there was a double edge to that in the sense that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in disconnected areas, told us that they felt very alone um, in, their educa- in their own development as entrepreneurs. When we asked them how many other entrepreneurs are you surrounded with on any given day, they said less than three. You know, and you speak to the more successful entrepreneurs, they'll say easy between eight and nine other entrepreneurs that they can just pick up the phone and have a quick conversation mm. with. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's the small circle was really that, but the masterclass of one tied into this in the sense that it's like they prefer to learn by themselves. You know, like it's a, there's a lot of informal, um, you know, 2 a.m. kind of learning that goes on. And obviously the role of, of YouTube. Patent that, 2 a.m. learning. 2 a.m. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can download our report at heavyship.com forward slash surveys to see that. So, um, in fact, we, we, like, that was verbatim one of the quotes of the entrepreneur, one of the entrepreneurs said to us that we include in our reports. It's like, you know, said 2 a.m. is the best. No distractions. And this is maybe the one thing that your formal Pro, learning programs miss that entrepreneurs have one priority and that's to spend as much time as possible in their business working on their business designing product dealing with customers because you know you you run a business what happens if you go on holiday and you don't answer your phone you come back and it's just the house is on fire you know like there's all kind of issues and you want to avoid that so to expect them to go on like a 16 week um, program or six month long program all their years, like you're taking me away from my, from my business. So that's where learning in the gaps come from. It's like they've become really, really good at learning in small bite-sized pieces in the gaps. 2 a.m. in the morning, on their way to a meeting, we hear stories of them walking, saying that, you know what, I walk between meetings on my way to, to meet with the potential customer, but I'll notice something, you know, I'll overhear a conversation of someone in a coffee shop or I'll notice something in a store window and just an idea sparks for me that I can draw into my business. No one else will see that. It's, there's almost like an idiosyncrasy to that. And, uh, that, and they, they put a lot of value in that kind of learning that is just observational in nature. Or they'd be listening to a podcast or listening, you know, watching a video, or at least listen to the audio of a video while they're commuting. And they're just like, it's all, all just a lot of information coming in. 
and their entrepreneurial brain is processing that information and just cutting away 99% of the fluff and zoning in on the 1% that they can apply. And they do apply. They're very conscious of, and the, the research showed this clearly, that they're conscious about identifying a lesson that they can apply on their business immediately. And for us, that, that was fascinating. And when we said one of the insights was, you know, learning that keeps the lights on, you know, it's all the keeps the engine going at least, um, was that, you know, if, when we speak to a lot of organizations and academics as well, we did ask some academics, you know, what does the, 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 the theory say about what, what we are finding so you can kind of juxtaposition the, the things. Um, they said to us the most important skills for the future and for now is uh, creativity, critical thinking, problem-solving skills. When we ask the entrepreneurs, what are the skills that you're interested in? Those are the skills that they are not interested in. They already self-identify as creative mm. problem solvers. They're interested in how do I manage my people? How do I manage my money? How do I drive sales? Marketing and marketing sales. The, the fifth one that really came out as far as skills were concerned was um, a planning and goal setting was a big need for them. Kind of makes sense, you know, when you're like, getting pulled into all kinds of directions, you start need to start learning by default how to prioritize yes right and i'm sure if i ask you about your kind of startup story and running a business etc planning and goal setting was probably one of the things that you still invest in quite heavily and it came through in the research as well so things that are that have that instant gratification nature or practical that are things that i can apply to my business and it means something tangible to my business immediately those are the skills and knowledge things that that the entrepreneurs are interested in so I can talk about the stuff for hours, but so, it's fascinating. So now that you've done all this research, you know, and I can see kind of like aligning back to the kind of the purpose of, of Heavy Chef, it makes sense why you would be exploring these kind of topics. Like what are you, what are you guys going to change about what you're offering or how you're approaching it based on the, the insight that's come back? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to give away too much okay. <laughs> of, of the thing, but a, a big component of us is, is how do you balance? Um, there's still a big role for inspiration, and and you know this year has like been a year of celebrations. You know, Springboks, you know, what's a Miss Universe was crowned last night. You know, uh, you know, even the Proteas netball team, not the cricket team. Let's, let's be clear about this. <laughs> yeah. The netball team were doing really, really well. So yeah. I think this was we're going to reflect on 2019 as a year of celebrations. But it is a bit of an outlier year in that respect. We've, you know, and there's a need for good stories. And and so for us, it is not to lose sight of making sure that you bring in just good news stories and celebrate those stories with the community. And as much as we are exposed to those stories almost on a daily basis, the majority of entrepreneurs tell us that they don't really attend entrepreneur events. I think 72% of them said, you know, I've never already attended entrepreneur events. A lot of them feel a level of, I don't want to use the word despair, but certainly, you know, like loneliness to a degree. Like, uh, and, and, and they want to be exposed to the good news story. So we need to make sure as much as we focus on the practical skills aspect that we just do not lose the inspiration side of, of that. Um, another component, this was just a, we've recently actually you know, learned that lesson, but um, there's a huge demand for for mentorship, and that's, this came through in the, the the research as well. But the nuance to that is, we want mentors from our community, 
people who know the street names and the local shops and the history of the community. I think often when we think about mentorship programs, is a bit of a cookie-cutter approach. It's like, you know, how do we get a lot of successful business people to come and speak to startups? But it is more nuanced than that. You want to really identify mentors within those communities. So there's a hyper-local kind of component that we have to inject in our, our thing, in our model as well, which we haven't untapped yet, but is very much in our priority, in our radar. That's amazing. So, so how do you, I mean, you, like you, you were not the, the founder or originator of this, but no. you, you saw fit to invest in it and buy into it and are still, still running with it many years later. Like what, what drives you? Like what about this excites you and, and gets you involved? Yeah, look, look, I think the thing that drove my involvement into first Worldwide Creative and the agency and then Heavy Chef and you know, we, do, we have an investment company that we run now as well. Um, was really just a connection with my two business partners, Fred and Mike. And so, you know, my motivation there was to find people that you can go on a journey that, you know, are that will that share the same values. And what that actually translates in practice is when the shit hits the fan, that these are the people that you can trust on, that you don't necessarily have to look behind your back over your shoulder about. And then they really are you know, one of my best friends, actually, as well. And that's that was my first motivation was just to find one or two individuals that you really can build a strong, healthy, uh, long-term relationship with. But for me personally, as far as the education sphere is concerned, I'm, you know, like for me, a it's just a space that is changing so dramatically and will continue to 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 change. But there's a real underlying social cohesion aspect to it that I that I like. You know, I distinctly remember going on an Instagram walk a couple of years ago, and I was looking out the corridor and I saw these two guys discussing camera specifications. But the one guy was this short, sixty-year-old uh, Afrikaans farmer. But when I say that, think about the best stereotype that you can think of. Like that was exactly it. The car keys, the beard. I mean, you've got a beard, but it's not. So, but the the, the Afrikaans ac- English accent was heavy Afrikaans. But the other guy was this tall, twenty-one-year-old black rapper, hip-hop dude, right? And at that moment, they did not see differences between each other because they were just focused on the camera specifications and they were sharing a love for the craft, right? And I remember distinctly thinking, then that's that's the real secret there in terms of the ability for to teach and to learn to bring people closer together and find a sense of wonder from that i think that's at a, at a, at a deeper level what what drives me it's like there's I, I see people um that they get involved in 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 teaching and and sharing their learnings with others and there's a sense of dignity and there's a fire in their eyes that light up when they're able to do that and it's reciprocated when it's really you know found a value and if you think about it everyone teaches and shares in some way or form there needs to be more of that so so that's what drives me it's like i I think there's a real spiritual and practical utility to to education that has been monopolized by the legacy of education but there's we need to refine the kind of philosophical underpinnings of it and can be untapped and every chef is a strong you know mechanism for me to be able to do that I love that. I mean, it's it's so lovely to see an organization that's grown from strength to strength 
kind of aligned to that single principle and seeing that you on the inside are also your personal your your personal like purpose is aligned with the organization one. So does that help you when things are tough and and the the nights are late and the the people are shouting? Yeah. It's it's it makes for tough um, uh, conversations when times are tough. Yeah, um, you know because people are like why are you just pursuing with this? You know, but if you really sit still and reflect on it all, like it's it's you realize it's not insanity. It, it really is. You are busy with a creative pursuit, fundamentally. And that's, you know, for me, that's what life is about, honestly. It's like you have to create something of value, you know, you're only here for a short <laughs> period of time. And, uh, and then, you know, I, frankly, I don't want to do that sitting at my desk, you know, like so. So it just keeps every, brings everything into perspective. And, but it's important to surround yourself with people that have that same kind of philosophy, you know, like, if I do this on my own, there's no two. I would have given up a long time ago, you know. Like so, and it, as much as it's my business partners, it's also like family. It's also you know your friends, you know, and your, your personal relationships. And uh, yeah, so that's like surround yourself with people that have a good energy, that have an infectious en- energy that is constructive and positive. At least that's helped me in terms of just. I mean, isn't that the same thing for how you should be staffing your business? How you should be picking the people to to build your brand with you, how you should be, you know, like you should be selecting this this group of people that share this common vision and have a positive energy and are driving yeah. you and everything else forward with yeah. them. And then maybe for those that are listening that are thinking about, you know, this is all fluff and soft stuff, like the numbers prove this. Like you see it in, we see it in our financial performance as well. When there's clarity of purpose, there's clarity of what you do, there's a real domino effect that, that that happens. Like when your people start working, you know, more intelligently, more focused, driving towards the same goal. And then your customers start picking up on it and they start asking you more questions and they start engaging with you more because they, they know what it is you are doing and they want to be part of that story. Yes. Right? Or so, not be part of that story. Or not be part of that yeah. story. And that's that, that's important. As I've said earlier, like we, we let clients go because just the values don't sink in. And I know this is tough when the economic pressures are, you know, when you have to pay salaries at the, at the end of the month and you have a client that you actually just don't want, but you know what, they're going to pay a bill and you, you are able to pay salaries. I get that. It is a messy kind of kind of process. But in principle... For the most part, you know, surround yourself with people that, you know, share your same values. You'll see the financial return on that um, in the medium to long term. There's no two ways about it. Awesome, Dave. I think that's a lovely note to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure. We look forward to to attending your next amazing event. Yeah, thank you. Like people can go to heavychef.com. Just follow us on the socials wherever you can. We've got a good team behind us and we love meeting new people, you know, at all our engagements. So thank you, appreciate it. Thank you so much and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you for listening. In the words of Carlos Corbian, sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please send it on to them. This is our second season and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One More Question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. 
a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're a little bit old school, let us know and we'll make you a mixtape.